0: Hello, listeners, and welcome back for another great episode of Movie Fixers, the podcast where we don't just talk about movies, but talk about how they could be even better. I'm one of your movie fixers today, Tony.
1: And I'm Matt, your other fixer. Uh, Today's episode, we're going to be talking about an incredibly divisive film that belongs to a very beloved franchise. Today we're going to be talking about Star Wars Episode One, The Phantom Menace.
0: The Phantom Menace, as those of you who are old enough to remember. Came out in 1999, also the same year as The Matrix, I believe. It It is. is. (laughs) It is the obvious prequel trilogy, or the start of the prequel trilogy to the 70s and 80s original Star Wars trilogy. And let's just say it was not well critically well received. Uh, It's sitting at a 55 on Rotten Tomatoes, which may be a bit generous
1: right it's frankly generous
0: <laughs> well and part of that is is there is a younger fan base that just ate it up it was it had a lot targeted at them as as little kids that base has grown up and remember it fondly cuz even though you know, it's not necessarily a great film. It made them laugh when they were small. And let's face it, it made lots of money. I mean, over worldwide, it grossed over a million. Oh, pardon me, over a billion. <laughs> let's get that right. And that's not even mm-hmm. including things like all the
1: merch. There was so much merch with this. This was a very marketable movie. Yeah, it, and it's important to really emphasize the, the point that it, you could kind of we'll we'll get into it later but you can kind of tell george lucas was making was sort of trying to make a kid-friendly movie and there are ways it definitely worked and selling merch is part of it one of these days we'll have to talk about the year 1999 because you're right matrix came out that year a lot of amazing movies a lot of bad movies a lot of like it was such a big year for movies you know it's the end of a millennium Yeah, people were trying to get those movies out. They were like, come on, let's just get these movies out before the world ends. And then it didn't. All right. I um, so set you up to
0: say a Millennium Falcon and you just dropped it. You just left it I don't
1: know. I can't. I can't right now. I cannot right now. We're in a bad headspace with the Millennium Falcon at the moment. We've got this movie. We've got Solo that comes out really, really soon, which I'm kind of like, eh, about. We'll... We'll, re- we'll revisit that later okay uh let's talk about what this movie's even about i tried to sit down earlier and write out a short summary of this movie and i wouldn't say i'm thrilled with it but i'm gonna i'm gonna try so this movie starts with two jedi and if so if you're not familiar with the jedi or sorry the the star wars universe there's definitely some things that i think aren't super clear in this movie um And if you're listening to this podcast and you've never seen a Star Wars movie, I'm going to try a little bit to catch you up. Jedi are basically these like space monks that have access to the spiritual thing called the force that kind of gives them powers and intuition. That's that's a fair way to describe the Jedi, right? Uh, uh, Yeah, just even simpler. It makes them superhuman. Basically, yeah, they're they're space superheroes that look like Jesus. Or at least how we paint Jesus. Okay, yeah, I'll give you that. You can't say Qui-Gon doesn't look like Jesus a little bit. (laughs) Sure. So, anyways, two Jedi are sent to negotiate a trade agreement between the Trade Federation and the planet of Naboo. Um, oh, sorry, right, already boring. So it's important to note that all Star Wars movies start with a text crawl at the beginning, and the text crawl at the beginning of this movie just puts you to sleep right away. They're <laughs> already talking about taxation and trade routes and, and nonsense. Senate.
0: And yeah, you don't catch that in, in the other Star Wars movies. It's usually not,
1: like not really, not at all. Dire circumstances. So, it becomes really clear, very quickly, that the Trade Federation are up to no good, and they're already like ordered to take out the Jedi, which is laughable, to be honest. And the Jedi barely manage to escape to the planet's surface, and after a very completely unnecessary side trip through the planet's core, with the help of local and everyone's favorite Star Wars character, Jar Jar Binks, they finally get to the capital city of Naboo, where they, are, where they meet the monarch, who is Queen Amidala, and her whole entourage. Um, They decide to escort her to the governing planet of Coruscant but are forced to make a side trip to the planet of Tatooine because of ship repairs because you know it's space so there's ship repairs right. Mm -hmm. Um, When they get to Tatooine Tatooine, they encounter an unusually force sensitive boy that may or may not be part of a prophecy because you know prophecies are involved of course. And he may be the one meant to bring balance to the force. The boy uses his force abilities and his piloting abilities to win a big pod race, which is basically like chariots in space. Um, He wins all the parts needed to repair the ship, and he ends up liberating himself, but not his mom in the process. Ugh, I'll talk about that later um so finally they get off of tatooine they get to coruscant the boy is taken to the jedi council so they can determine if they're going to train him or not in the ways of the force and the jedi queen amidala goes to the senate trying to like save her planet basically finds out pretty quickly that it's a bit of an inside job and it's not going to work out for her so she's forced to return back the whole squad is forced forced to return back to naboo to basically fight for their rights to party uh, there's a big planetary <laughs> battle, they win the battle, um, Qui-Gon dies, who's like the main head Jedi at this point, and the boy's fate is unclear. And that's pretty much, I mean, that's the movie, right? I didn't leave out anything major? I, I would I would add, because this is
0: going to come up a lot in what I talk about, that once they return to Naboo for the big fight by themselves, it's not by themselves. Because the Nabooians Nabubians, i don't know what you call them—the Gungans. Gung, no, the, the Gungans are another race on this planet that are seemingly uninvolved because they live underwater. But Queen Amidala goes to them for help, and their agreement to use their army to help her liberate her city is really paramount in the success. And it's going to be really paramount and and in a lot of things that and I want super to super problematic. I don't know, I. I think it's it was problematic in the way it was used, but I. I, I think th-
1: it's problematic because they're clearly like the indigenous like species, right? And they they suffer all of the loss and attrition from this final battle to save. It just kind of plays really weird weird on camera, you know? Well, because it's, it's the not natives. Addressed, so
0: I, yeah. I get why you skimmed over them, but but we're going to be talking about them a lot in this. I have opinions about space wizards and uh, other things, so. I just wanted to add that in here now also Coruscant the place they they were originally trying to flee to is where the galactic senate is the galactic the universe is like big government think like your UN kind of thing so that for those who don't know anything about Star Wars that that's as
1: much help I can give you there right I mean obviously there's more details to the story but that's the gist of what transpires Mm -hmm. in this movie so what let's just start off easy what what do you think? Did you like Did you like this movie, Tony? <laughs> well, the question we write down, because it's
0: very obvious that we're not going to like any of these movies if you think they need fixing, is how do they make us feel? And I have two answers to that, kind of like with Timeline. When I first saw this movie, I was skeptical. It was, you know, it was the 90s, and I was an angsty teenager, so of course I was skeptical. But I felt like the way this movie was marketed and advertised, the way... All of the merchandise was out and basically gave away most of like what you were going to see in the movie before you saw it. Really just pointed to the idea that this was going to be like a movie made for marketing, made from marketing. And when I got into the theater and the lights went out and then that that text scroll started with the iconic John Williams music, I went, you know, this could be good. And that was the last time I've really had like a positive thought about this movie until mm, until
1: mm-hmm. I what I hope to be today, when we fix it. Well said, well said. So for me, I remember <laughs> this is this is gonna date me and and really point out how nerdy I am. I remember this movie came out. Um, I was in. Lord, I was in seventh grade, I want to say, or maybe eighth grade. I think I was in eighth grade. And I remember, I only remember this because it was my eighth grade dance in middle school. And there was a midnight showing and me and a couple of my friends left our eighth grade dance where we were supposed to be, I guess, making out with girls or doing whatever boys do. I don't really know. But we left early to go to the midnight showing of The Phantom Menace because we were so excited. There was a new Star Wars movie and this was happening. And I'll be honest, I remember seeing it at that young age and not hating it, just not liking it. You know, I think I was too young and too inexperienced with like critically watching movies to truly like hate the movie. But I just remember feeling underwhelmed by it i've since seen it a handful of other times typically just because you know someone will have not seen it and i'm like okay fine i won't let you do this alone i will do it with you i will watch this movie with you or like yesterday when i watched it again for this podcast and i was just so i mean i'm not really angry just frustrated the whole time because it's it's even it was even worse than i remembered it being Hmm. and there's just so many things that don't work in this movie whatsoever and um, I watched it with a, with a friend of mine, and he made a really good point. He said, it feels like Lucas is trying to pack in as many oos and ahs as possible, but literally none of them work. This was Taylor, by the way. He's one of our most loyal four listeners to this podcast. Oh, hi, Taylor. And, and he, I think he's completely on the nose. I took, a, I took the time out to write it down in my notes, because I think he's completely right. He tried so hard to pack in visual oohs and ahs, and none of them actually landed at all. I will definitely have more to say on that later cool well let's get into let's get into our breakdown um can i you want to can, yeah, I, can i say absolutely. one thing to
0: all listeners i have heard obviously star wars is d- divisive because there are so many varying opinions and opinions and things like that And we've said on the show before if you don't agree with us that's fine but one argument that i've heard a lot and i really just want to address and this is the only one is a lot of people have told me after i saw it back in the day, even when I see it now, is it's just a kid's movie, like that wipes any sort of imperfection, It like excuses anything it does. And I do not like that argument, so I'm gonna say right now for those ready to just go, guys, it's just a kid's movie, why are you you making all this fuss, I disagree. I think, one, that talks down to children, there's a lot Mm -hmm. of good content intended for children that is highly intelligent and very, very enjoyable. There is Star Wars content, like uh, like the show Rebels that is that way. And also, Star Wars to me is not just a kid's movie. And for people who think that, that's fine, but I'm gonna say you're wrong. Star Wars is for everyone. And that is all ages I grew up with an entire family watching and quoting Star Wars from my grandfather to my mother to my uncle and you know when my father married my mother they got him into it and and they were adults and I yes, I grew up as a kid watching it but it was never a kid's thing to me
1: so yeah I I agree with you I think I think that's 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 problematic in a couple ways like you said even if it is just a kids' movie, which I disagree with you, I don't think this is a kids' movie. I I think maybe Lucas thought he was making a kids' movie at one point, but I don't think it that makes it a kid's movie. Mm-hmm. But even if it is a kid's movie, as you say, I mean, look at Finding Nemo, which is a you know, kids movie, but it's, you know, an amazing film that works on a lot of levels. Mm-hmm. So I think it's belittling, like you said, towards kids and people that make kids' content. And I think it also is a misunderstanding of the movie because it's again i don't think of this as a kid's movie at all exactly even though there are definitely times when it feels like a kid's movie so
0: obviously i've got some defensiveness in there but i i had to to clarify that but matt you were saying let's uh let's get on with breaking down this movie
1: and And we like to start our breakdowns with what was confusing or unclear i had two things that were not terrible i mean there's a lot of kind of mumbled mess in this movie but there are two like major points that i didn't really get in this movie all right hit me with them um one i i don't understand why so qui-gon jinn and obi-wan kenobi are jedi well one is ones one is the jedi master one is promoted to jedi knight by the end of the movie they're both you know very adept at sensing uh, variations in the force things like that and they're at 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 a couple different moments, they're around Palpatine, who we find out later is a Sith Lord, which is basically a a dark Jedi for anyone who doesn't know. I don't understand how neither of them knew this or saw this coming. Like, there might be something in the expanded canon or universe that addresses this, but in the movie, it makes no sense to me.
0: The fan argument is... Because in the movie, they also don't really explain how they sense the Force in other people, like... Later on, does Qui-Gon suspect that Anakin has the Force, or does he actually sense it? The The argument is, from the fans, is that Palpatine is so strong. He's he's a very strong, like, in-the-Force person. He can mask his own, like, aura from these two. Okay. That's...
1: Okay, I'll buy that. All That's right. That works for me. Uh, my other point, <laughs> which is just, I think, just a weird writing choice. So there's this whole, like... Um, duplicitous storyline—not duplicitous, but this this intrigue in the movie where you find out at one point that this character Queen Amidala, played by Natalie Portman, is actually also sometimes the, her handmaiden Padme, because they she uses a decoy sometimes where the actual queen is in fact the handmaiden and the handmaiden is pretending to be the queen, all in some sort of like safety ruse or whatever's going on. I honestly, I think overall, that whole thing works really well in this movie, but there's a scene right when they first leave Naboo (laughs) where the queen, who at this point is the handmaiden, the actual not queen at all, orders the handmaiden, who is in fact the queen, to clean the dirty droid R2-D2. And I just couldn't help but think, like, really? You're gonna play her like that? (laughs) You're just gonna make her clean that droid?
0: (laughs) Let let me expand on this one, because they're all in there discussing their next move, and yeah, R2-D2 had saved them. As they were trying to get out, they took damage, but they would have blown up if it wasn't for R2-D2. So he gets this big little commendation thanks from everybody which is a bit much for a droid. Most of the time, droids aren't acknowledged as people. Uh, so, So R2's getting a lot of praise here. And then Padme, who's technically the queen right now, is supposed to go clean him up, which she then takes him mostly... She doesn't leave, but she definitely gets up to go do it, and she has to stop because if she leaves, and the queen is literally leaving the discussion, the actual queen... About what they're supposed to do next. And she should really be there for that. Right. That's something
1: the actual queen should definitely be there for.
0: And they're really only keeping this secret right now that she uses a double. Because I assume her captain knows. Like her her body. Like she's got the captain of her guard with her and a few hand servants. And I
1: assume he knows. But we don't. We don't have any th- reason to think that though Right. other than it just makes sense to a regular human being. Right. It's but so as far I, as we like, know what is the that? only two people who actually know Okay, that's true. are Padme and Amidala. So so when to the send they, her when out. the reveal happens towards the end, everyone's like, "Oh my god, I did not see that coming."
0: Mm-hmm. And so, <laughs> so so here's my here's my other theory about why they did that. Because what that does is that allows Padme, the actual queen, to get up, stand behind everyone, and and just stand there. And now she's got eyeline on the on the 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 double. Her the double's name is Sabe, or it's, it's got like an accent over the e. But a double's name is Sabe. So Sabe and, and Padme can now just like look at each other. And I have this like theory in my head that Padme's shooting her like eye looks that they've just mastered over the years of what she's she like wants her to do. Blinking
1: in Morse code or something.
0: Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. And I've got I've got an even better thing with this whole dynamic for the fit for what we when we fix it later. You're gonna love it. You're going to
1: love I'm, it. I'm really stoked about it. But that is uh, funny. This is, a, this is mm-hmm. as good a point as any to point out that um, a young, young Keira Knightley plays the, what did you call her? What the was double. her? Sabe? Sabe, the double. Before Kira Knightley was like Kira Knightley, mm-hmm. she was playing the double of Natalie Portman in this movie. Yep. It works, too. Uh, what about you? Anything, I mean, particularly you know, confusing or unclear for you? A lot of
0: little stuff, and I I caution bringing it up if it won't... Okay, so there's one i got to point out because it was just so dumb. There's a bit when, okay, the droid army is coming down. The Trade Federation, whatever they are, it's never really made clear, are sending down an army of droids to Naboo. And there's Queen Amidala... Which one it is, it doesn't matter, is sitting on her throne chair. Her council is giving her advice. They're telling her, basically, they're invading and our forces cannot repel them. And then she looks at them and says, in her super monotone queen voice, which apparently they worked very hard on and I just don't like, says, I will not condone an action that would lead to war. And I'm like, what is, no one's telling you to. No one's asking you to condone anything. They're telling you,
1: you're getting invaded right now. You're kind of screwed because you can't defend it. Right. War is at your doorstep, honey. Like, yeah, right. It's like, too late for principles of this nature.
0: A- 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 Aragorn needs to come in from the Lord of the Rings and go, open woe is upon you, and just walk out, drop the mic. Uh, so that one was just weird, but it doesn't really hold any real sway in the story. The one that kind of throws me in the story, is so i got a lot, but I'm really just going to focus on this one, is... Once they escape Naboo, they have to land on Tatooine. Meanwhile, the Trade Federation is still looking for them. So in an effort to d- draw out Queen Amidala and where she's hiding, they have the governor of Naboo, who got left behind, send her this heartbreaking message about people being killed and executions, and she must contact him. But it's really clear this is a trap. You know, you, you don't need to a trap. Or, thank you. <laughs> There's no need for a Mon Calamari to explain it. This is a trap. So they say that. They say, we're not going to respond, because if we respond, they'll be able to track us. So the Trade Federation's talking to talking to Darth Sidious, who we know is Emperor or Senator Palpatine in disguise, saying, hey, we can't find her. And he's like, don't worry. I'll send, and I'll talk more about this later, but I'll send my apprentice. He has ways of tracking them. And I'm like, oh, okay. So he's going to like use the Force and track him down. But no, then it shows him one of the few times darth maul gets any lines talking to palpatine going oh we traced their transmission yada 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 what transmission there was never a transmission was there
1: no you make a really good point honestly that whole that whole scene should be deleted darth maul apparently had more lines in the first draft of this and it got reduced down to like four he should have had no lines because the one scene he has lines in doesn't make sense like you pointed out and it 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 honestly makes his character less menacing and interesting he should have had no lines and you're right that scene makes no sense it would have been better if it was just like he used the force to find them like you said
0: and i and i have ways to kind of make that so he's not using the force in all of the galaxy to find them in my fix so i can i can Mm. even restore that being a thing but i want to bring it up here so when i i focus on it in the fix it makes sense but it, it's good sure, i, I, I was sense. right to be confused um another funny bit is during the battle and this this was really confusing to me but maybe should just fall on the fell flat it when they they sneak into the naboo city basically the strike force that's gonna they're gonna do a lot <laughs> they bring anakin along who is at this point not even 12 into this battle where there is firefight he hides in a spaceship like a fighter ship that then goes on autopilot and takes off and no one seems to be worried about this
1: nope and not i'm at all.
0: i'm just wondering why should shouldn't someone care <laughs> oh well that's that's it for my confusion that's all the ones worth bringing up there are maybe a few more i might call to attention as we go but matt this is going to take a little bit, so let's let's go ahead and get it started. What what fell flat for you in this movie? Why don't you just give me a few of yours?
1: So I, I know we've both talked about this movie a hundred times in our lifetime in a friendship together. And there's the, the fact is we could spend a whole hour on this one section. But I just wanted to point out some like overarching things that don't work at all. Um, m- most of the performances in this movie, even from actors that we know are actually pretty good at their jobs were just flat, mm-hmm. and I I I have to tell myself and I have to believe that that was the direction they were given. They were told to play it monotone and really kind of boring, and and it doesn't work at all. There's for the first, actually for most of the movie, there's no one to care about. You know, nobody's charming, nobody's interesting. You know, when we first meet Qui Gon and Obi Wan, who are played by Liam Neeson and um, Ewan McGregor, neither of them are terribly like charismatic and they're kind of holding the movie together for a long time. When we finally meet Amidala, she kind of always looks pained. She looks a lot like uh, Kristen Stewart in Twilight. Just really pained a lot and not really like she wants to be there. Right. When we finally meet a character with energy, we meet Jar Jar Binks who is just a train wreck of a character. He's sort of like a racist Jamaican stereotype a bit and He's so, like, over the top, and his words are nonsensical, and so he's, like, swinging the pendulum the complete other direction, and he's not charming either. Like, really, you never meet anybody in this first movie terribly charming. The closest would be possibly Ewan McGregor's Obi-Wan, but they kind of, like, bench him for most of the movie.
0: And I would argue that it's not... Ewan McGregor's Obi-Wan, it's Ewan McGregor having, because I've written in my notes, Ewan McGregor is having a great time, because he just kind of sure. keeps smiling in every scene. There there, mm-hmm. there have always been rumors that w- during the, the lightsaber battles, he would make wishing sounds, and they have to edit yeah, it out. Yeah, he'd lightsaber sounds. Yeah, he'd go vroom, vroom, like, he, he couldn't stop, because, you know, if you were a kid with a flashlight, you would have been doing that your whole life, before this, yeah, so... I'm- so he um, was other thing likable as. And I was just to finish up my point. He was likable as a as a person getting to be in a Star Wars movie. I really was happy for you and McGregor.
1: Right. Agreed. Uh, a couple other just overarching things. Uh, the visual effects in this movie in general do not hold up. Um, and the only reason I would even point that out is because there's so much of them in this movie. There are so many times when. Lucas clearly was like, ooh, let's put this in there. Ooh, let's put this in there. And we didn't need it. It wasn't really adding anything to our story. It wasn't really adding anything to our experience. But because there's so much of it, it's so obvious now, goodness, almost 20 years later, how those effects don't hold up, you know? And uh, the last thing I just made a note of for this section is the droids, the droid army, the the dumb droids they're played as kind of stupid and it doesn't it's not it doesn't play as funny it doesn't play as interesting it plays as something that doesn't really make a lot of sense um i I really wish they'd made those that droid army menacing because they're you know when the big battle sequence happens at the end there's so many of them and if they had made them a real threat there would have felt I don't know. It would have felt like there was more like stakes, high stakes. It would have felt threatening and right and dangerous. They were but more it, it expendable than because,
0: stormtroopers.
1: Oh, by far. And they were just, they were silly, you know, like they can't, they're, they're droids. They're literally programmed. They should be like sharpshooters. Mm-hmm. They shouldn't be like fumbling their gun and then shrugging at the camera, basically like an arrested development episode. It's ridiculous. <laughs> So that's the, I mean, again, there's a lot that fell flat in this movie, but those three things in this last viewing really stood out to me.
0: All right. Um, in that case, you mind
1: if I kind of expand?
0: I, I won't go an hour, but but let me expand on this a little bit. <laughs> Please don't. I won't. So it's just kind of like overall arcing the little things. All around the writing in this was very lazy, and I believe it was lazy because it was specifically market tailored. This has been said before by many other people, but there were elements... All the elements in these movie in this movie was designed or were designed to target a different group, down to the Queen Amidala having seven different outfits, the marketing mentality was, Well girls like dresses and clothes and that's a thing. And you know, just every the goofy droids being fun for kids, or the Jar Jar beaks being funny for kids, like everything I think had more of a market tested approach rather than yes. a creative writing approach.
1: A point where that was really obvious to me was when they're getting ready for the pod race. The scene they introduce every single pod racer for mm-hmm. for no reason. Like there's from a story perspective well, because you there's can no buy all their action figures. Exactly. I was just I made a note and I was just like, stop trying to sell me toys because that's exactly what it felt like. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that that's
0: overarching. I think what what hurt this movie. But then going in a little bit more detailed, not much. The enemy for this movie. The, the, the big bad force is called the Trade Federation, and and they're bad because they're upset of taxations caused by the Senate, so they're putting up a blockade on Naboo, which is said to be perfectly within their legal rights to do. I don't understand why it's legal to blockade a planet from trade, but they can do that. This causes turmoil in the galaxy, they say, that we never see. The point is... is they're just this weird threat, and yes, they're sort of a puppet of Palpatine. But even as a puppet, I, I mean, it would be like if you had a sock and no eyes on it. They're just—it's just a sock. <laughs> uh, golly. And, and I know this isn't a big one, but Obi Wan's his his braid is fine. He's got the Padawan braid, but he's got this little warrior tail in the back that just somebody
1: needed to cut that. That's that's a thing that fell flat to you is Ewan McGregor's haircut.
0: I really had to call that out. Sorry. Okay. But seriously, you mentioned (laughs) earlier Jar Jar Binks has this sort of semi Jamaican accent that borderlines offensive. That's actually all the Gungans have that This is the first Star Wars movie. Correct me if I'm wrong, but this is the first Star Wars movie where any non-human character spoke a version of English, and all the other ones that I can recall, they either spoke, like, just nonsensicalness that that had subtitles or didn't have subtitles based on it being relevant to the story, and in this movie, we have three different alien races established that all have
1: some sort of... I guess stereotypical yeah, accent. it's re- Like it's racist right am I being wrong it's really well and I, I don't know what the race names are but there's a race on the Federation sh- or the trade Federation ship that has what they're clearly going for is some sort of like Asian Chinese kind of thing and they even designed the characters with these weird slit slanted eyes right and all I could think of was like did not who approved like what six stages of pre-production approved this and didn't say guys this is more than a little tiny bit racist well
0: one it was 1999 and two you talk about things getting pre-approved if george lucas said it it happened there was no more approval after sure.
1: that you're so, right and that that's was one of the biggest crazy. problems in this movie is nobody said no to george but that was just
0: it was odd and it was very distracting on, on Characters that could have been really good, it just like you said, it distracted. Mm-hmm. I thought the Gungans could have been a really interesting race of people, except every time they spoke, it, it sounded like someone was making fun of a race of people.
1: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Oh, uh, uh, yeah. One. Taylor, of the- Taylor pointed something out. Just speaking of the alien designs, I want to give Taylor credit for this as well. He pointed out that none of the like creature designs make any sense in this movie. Um but where we first noticed it was when they're going through the core of the planet, the big like gooberfish or whatever the hell it's called has just like kind of random legs coming out of the back and like three fins. And it feels from like a world building perspective that someone just thought, Oh, this would look neat. And they didn't go through the process of thinking like, how would this creature actually function in the mm-hmm. world that we've put them in? And as you watch the movie, there's lots of that t- to me. There's lots of, Lazy world building that is like paper thin and falls apart the minute you start asking any questions.
0: Yeah, definitely. One smaller just thing that I'm not going to let go uh, to is- when they're on when the Jedi are on the command ship originally the trade for formation command ship they get attacked by these droids they can't beat so they decide to run away and they run at a super speed with a super speed blur effect that is terrible. But they never do that again, and there's literally a point in the movie where they get separated by these, like, dividing walls that are opening and closing, where super speed would have completely solved that. But it was a plot device that was just used once and then dropped, and and it was unnecessary to use in the beginning. They could have just run. It's important
1: to point out that not only do they not use it again for the rest of this movie, but we never see that used again in any of the the next two because this is you know one of three movies in case you're a listener that doesn't know that this was a prequel trilogy and this like super fast running thing that you're talking about is never seen again even though like you said there's more than a few times when it could have been a game changer for the story Mm mm-hmm To expand
0: on something you said a little bit earlier about how the live actors were very flat versus the CGI characters were very loud and just over-animated, I I couldn't help but notice that the live actors had a lot of trouble focusing on their eyeline on where it was supposed to be. It didn't always match up with the CGI character they were talking to. And what made it even worse is there are at least three scenes that I can remember, well, two scenes at least that I can remember right now, where the, all the main action was taking place between all CGI characters, but there were live-action characters just standing there. And you could see they had no idea why they were standing there or what was going on. Like, I can give you examples. It was just awkward. because they, Yeah, there's,
1: a, there's several scenes, especially involving Jar Jar's character, where it feels like they decided to do everything Jar Jar does in post. And Ewan McGregor, Liam Neeson, like nobody else is really reacting to it because it's so disassociated from the the greater scene.
0: Mm -hmm. Uh, There's one specifically with Natalie Portman where Jar Jar is interacting with R2 and she's in between them in the background. And she's kind of not looking anywhere with an almost smile on her face. Like, are they doing something funny? Should I should I be smart I don't know and I'm just like oh that's so uncomfortable
1: yeah part of it is I think we're a little um, uh, what's the word we're a little spoiled with stuff today because of motion capture you know when Rocket Raccoon is in you know the Guardians movie, there's someone on set in a suit that that's getting to act with them. At this point in visual effects, Jar Jar, as far as I'm aware, was literally represented by, like, a tennis ball on a, like, wooden dowel. Yeah. And, you know, that doesn't excuse it, but it, it, de- it definitely gives you a, an insight as to why it is the way it is.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So we, we talked um, about
0: this. Hang on, hang on. I, I'm almost done, I promise. We we talk about this not be or this being a movie for kids. There's one of the racers, Anakin races against, like the really bad, mean one. Sabuba is his name. Is sitting before the race is sitting on this chair with these two like girls massaging him sensually, and I just thought that's icky. It was just this <laughs> for kids, right? All right, all right. No 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 more fake ones. I gotta get my real ones out. Darth Maul, the main like fighter bad guy, his introduction was as a hologram. Palpatine I goes, made
1: that exact note. I made that exact same note. His in- well, first of all, his introduction was
0: on every single box of merchandise before the movie came out. But his introduction in the movie was as a hologram, which was so weak, so weak. It was just yeah, not Darth I'm, Vader's I intro. That I would have liked to have seen. Smoke around a bunch of corpses of his mm. fallen enemies. That's Darth Vader's intro, and that worked like I'm not saying if they did everything like they did in the original Star Wars I don't even think that would hurt because it was just well well constructed storytelling
1: sure for the most part no you didn't have to introduce Darth Maul the exact same way but you're right the hologram introduction was just it's a disservice to one of the most functional parts of this movie Darth Maul is an actually good menacing villain for the most part and it would have been more interesting if we had the moment where Palpatine says, I'll, I'll send my apprentice, and then we get to go, ooh, I wonder who his apprentice is. We get to wonder, mm-hmm. as we go to Tatooine and we watch this thing, what's happening? We might even see glimpses of him stalking them or whatever. And then yes. that scene where they're leaving Tatooine, when they're, they're walking towards the ship, Qui-Gon could have had like his spidey senses go off. He mm-hmm. feels there's this person. And then that's when Darth Maul triple backflip sow cows off of his little hover bike, And, like, it would have been so cool and such a great reveal for a character, but instead we get him stepping into frame in a hologram, saying nothing, and just, like, you're like, does that guy have horns? It's hard to tell. He's kind of blue and grainy, and I wonder who that guy is. It's just so lackluster of an introduction of a character.
0: But that said, the one that got me even more, this is just
1: lazy writing and
0: really bad lazy writing. Anakin... Mm -hmm. Supposedly, Anakin Skywalker, who will later be Darth Vader, spoilers.
1: One of the most iconic characters in all of everything.
0: Was an immaculate conception. His mother, some at one point just became pregnant, theoretically by the fans, through the will of the Force. And that is... That is the laziest writing ever, because in my mind, because it never comes up again, it's never mentioned again, it's never referenced at all. And when Qui Gon hears this from Anakin's mother, he literally doesn't react at At right. all. I think
1: I don't. I don't even mind the explanation that there was no father or whatever. I just think it was written and handled so poorly. You're right. Qui Gon hears this. There's no father, and there's no like. Are you sure there's no, fo- there's no, no, there's no reaction. There's no, like, I got to get Obi-Wan on the phone. This kid has no dad. This is crazy. Like, I got to talk to someone. He's just like, okay, that's cool. Cool, cool, cool.
0: No, but you know when he gets Obi-Wan <laughs> on the phone, you know when he gets Obi-Wan on the phone and has to talk to Obi-Wan about something really important?
1: Tell us. chlorians Oh, God. I, I was honestly sort of semi-hoping we were going to make it through this whole episode and right. never even say the word midi Mini
0: chlorians, for those of you who don't know, are basically how they measure how the force works. So, you know, which makes me think of Han Solo in The Force Awakens. That's not how the force works, <laughs> but it. But no, it. it, it they, basically, they tried to use sci-fi science to explain the force, whereas the force, up until this point, has always been a spiritual essence. And they mm-hmm. just try. And they didn't science it. They sci-fi scienced it. They came up with some BS that again never comes back or is mentioned ever again.
1: In anything.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: So. It was it was a weird way of, of Qui Gon just saying he could have simply said, I th- I sense the force is strong in this one. And he does which say is something, that. Which is something that's been said in other Star Wars properties mm-hmm. before and totally works. But this time he's like, I'm going to do a blood check and check his insulin levels. And I'm going <laughs> to check his midichlorians. And I'm just you know, going give to him, give him a physical. We got to see what's going on with this kid. Uh, all right. I got one more. One more that's okay, worth mentioning. Gotta, because this is okay. going to
0: cause some controversy, I think, to some of our listeners. In my opinion... The lightsaber choreography, the fighting, just did fell flat for me. I, I personally believe it was... Because it was one of two things. It was these wide shots of... Ex- very obviously choreographed what could have really just been dance moves because none of it really felt like something you would do in combat or it was this other thing that persists in the prequels which is this medium shot of the character with a lightsaber and it twirling in front of their face in no way that you can actually make out or see what it's doing and that just got it just gets old I I've never I've never cared for I know Darth Maul's cool Ray Park who plays Darth Maul is a really good like athletic person very acrobatic and does some great flips but it just
1: as far as it would have been better if it was a dance versus combat and we see it feels it feels more like choreography in this movie than it feels like an actual combat an mm -hmm. actual fight scene
0: and there have been too many fan films I love the fan films I think they're great but a lot of them lean on that kind of flashy style to distract and I feel like that's what it does is it's just a lot of flipping and twirling nonsensically to distract you from the fact that we're trying to drag this this fight scene out.
1: Well, let's talk a little bit. I mean, if you unless you've got some more you want to say about what fell flat. I want to hear what, if anything, worked for you in this movie. I have a decent list of that, too. Do you want me to go if I've been talking too much? Is it your turn? I mean, you've been talking a lot, but I don't know that, <laughs> that that's necessarily a terrible thing. My list is pretty short. I just, again, I wanted to, to just focus on some big picture items. Um, one thing that really worked for me was the transitions. Um, in the original Star Wars films, they used a lot of wipes and clock wipes and, and different editing transition types. And I liked that they recreated those in this movie. It kind of made it feel like a Star Wars movie at times when it didn't really feel very Star Wars, but it, it helped. Uh, another thing that really helped plant this in the Star Wars universe was the music. John Williams returned to do the music for this like he did in the original movies. Yes. And I really think the music is one of the strongest elements of this movie. Uh, the fight scene, the Duel of Fates song at the the big climactic lightsaber battle at the end is iconic. I mean it's almost as iconic as, you know, Vader's march from the original at this point. It's Mm -hmm. it's it's really big. Um truthfully, that's about it for me as far as what was really successful. I there are lots of things that I felt like were almost successful. Like we talked a little bit about Ewan McGregor's performance. I felt like he was almost successful, but still not quite what I wanted and what I think could have been best for the movie. Um, You know, I could almost say the whole idea of pod racing is kind of fun, but in execution, didn't really care for it in the movie. There's, I don't know, there was, there were quite a, there's a longer list of almost successful, but as far as things that were actually successful, the, there's just not much for me in this movie.
0: Yeah, I... I have, like, a lot of smaller things that I would really like to give nods to, uh, partly as a fan and just partly as a person watching this, happy to see anything that really just made me go like, oh, that was good. Right. Uh, the first one, as a fan, when they're on that command ship again and they're fighting to get out of there, at one point they try to charge the, the bridge and these giant blast doors close and Qui-Gon uses his lightsaber, which is basically just heated energy. In the shape of a blade and sticks it into the door and we get to see a lightsaber used for the first time in a way that we've all i feel like as fans i've speculated could happen but here it is happening like he's taking basically a giant heat rod shoving it through a door and just holding it and watching this door just start to like melt before it and i was like that's cool i really wanted to see that finish out but they got distracted and but it was it was still it's like somebody thought that up and that was clever Um, overall the Gungan race and their city I thought was very pretty I thought was very creative I liked their form of military that was, they look very primitive on the, at the beginning and then you find out actually no, they're advanced, they've just advanced in a different way than is traditional to the Star Wars universe, so I think it stands to reason that they also have some animosity to the the other the humans on Naboo, and I, I want to see more of that because I thought that that was like a really good point to have like, if, if they weren't so distracting in the way they talked it, they could have been a really interesting race of people that I think really a lot of people would have attached to but aside from that, we had I think Liam Neeson gave us some good performance points, maybe he phoned it in some of the time. But one of my favorites is he's he's on Tatooine, Padme's walking around. I think he knew she was the queen because especially because of this line right here, she is just like nagging him about his choices to try and get them off Tatooine. And, you know, he's just kind of putting it aside and she's like, the queen would not be pleased. And he just turns around and goes, no more commands from her highness today. And, and and Padme just shoots him this, like, bitch stare, and he just, but he, I think playing it straight then, because that, that plays into his monk-likeness, it's like, he's not gonna overreact, he's not gonna show too much emotion, he's a monk, he's gonna say everything understated, but he's gonna say it, and I thought that was great. He, he scolds Jar Jar-Jar. Jar Jar is doing this stupid thing at a dinner table where he's trying to, like, eat food with his tongue across from the table, and at one point, I think this was just Liam Neeson, being Liam Neeson in this movie, grabs his tongue and goes, we'll have no more of that, and lets it go. And I was just like, Liam Neeson's getting sick of this movie. Jar Jar Binks isn't even there, and he's getting tired of him. This is horrible. But I just, I like that. Uh, On a more serious note, I liked uh, the, you talk about the pod race, that was fine, it went on a little too long, all of Tatooine went on a little too long, but the mechanics behind Anakin's pod racer specifically, there were a lot of dongles, bells and whistles, and it I felt like the film and the design, it made it very clear what he was doing. And a few times it would stall and he would flip this thing that was obviously the ignition in a way that made me think, you know, oh, he's trying to get the starter to like, you know, get it kicking again. There was there were like there's like a display that was very clearly showing, you know, trouble and just like. That was well thought out. Like at no point was I not sure what he was doing. Was there no point where I was confused. It was a completely alien piece of technology that translated very well visually, not with a bunch of words and exposition, what was going on with it at all times during the race. And I was like, huh, good job, good design. So I I gotta give him stuff. And on that note, Jake Lloyd, uh, the boy who plays Anakin, who caught a lot of flack for this, obviously, because Anakin was a lot younger than anybody would have expected. You don't want to see your menacing villain at 10, but there was, he worked best with the CGI characters and in the Padre's. I think all the pretend stuff, because he was a younger kid, he was able to pretend so much better and vision it in his head. Just like the way he'd communicate with them versus the way he'd communicate with any actual live adult on set. I thought he's, he's doing all right. This is, this isn't horrible. Like, he, he knows how to play pretend. He, he probably goes home and does this afterwards. And <laughs> just, you know, like he
1: got it. It's probably a big reason why he got the role in
0: the first place. Exactly. Um, got to give Queen Amidala some credit. She wasn't a completely horrible character. Once she gets to Coruscant and her naivety is lifted and she realizes no one's going to help her because it's all bureaucracy, she's like, I'm going right back. She's like, it's clear to me now that the Republic no longer functions. And I'm just over here like, preach. But... She decides that she will share the same fate as her people, meaning even if she goes back to get captured, she's not just going to sit here in safety while her people get taken over. And I'm like, that's that's at least something I can get behind. Queen who is right. sick of the politics and wants wants to go take action despite success. I I had to acknowledge that. And and yeah. Uh, oh, also uh, at the end there, when they're trying to break into the palace, they use. They use grappling hooks, and you know, how Batman is that?
1: (laughs) Yeah, it is kind of nice to see them use grappling hooks when everything else in the Star Wars universe is some sort of a laser energy beam of some kind. Hover device. It was was so nice and practical. Mm -hmm. Um, Well, let's talk about what. What what do we want to remove? Anything we'd just take out of the movie altogether? Uh, Anything we'd want
0: to? Are you going to say it, or am I?
1: I mean, so I I feel like I was actually a little harder on this than you were. I, I really think we can get rid of the entire Gungan storyline. Okay. Like J- Jar Jar, the you you're, you do make a valid point. Had they depicted the Gungans better, maybe. But with the way they were they were literally drawn in this movie, and the way they were portrayed, that that whole first scene where they 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 land and they have to go to the Gungan. Prime Minister, or whoever the hell he is, Mm -hmm. and go through the planet's core, all of it unnecessary. We don't need any of that. And the thing is, if we're not going to make some sort of allegory, if we're not going to drive home some sort of message about like coexisting with indigenous peoples or something like that, then just (laughs) get rid of them altogether. There's no reason why we couldn't have used, you know, an army from the, the, the Naboo capital to fight the final battle. There's no, like, there was no reason for any of that. Jar Jar. Literally adds nothing to the movie. All he all he does in this movie is make the introduction and you know quote unquote guide them through the core of the planet. After that, he's just kind of tagging along yeah, and causing I kept, trouble. I kept, yeah, I kept waiting. For something that I would be like, oh, I forgot he did do that. That is important to the story. But there's nothing. There's nothing that he adds to this.
0: I have to say to that, because I agree with you, but the movie tries kind of superfluously to do that by saying when they go approach the Gungan army, the Gungans for support with their army, he is their contact.
1: Which, but I'm saying if we omit that all then it's unnecessary.
0: Well, it's unnecessary on, on, a, on a simple Jar Jar level. One, he's been banished, and every time they see him, they get angry. So he's not the best contact. And two, there are, anybody could have been that contact. They knew where to find him. So I, I personally would like to keep the Gungans, partly because we talk about wanting not to just gut and redo, like keep the elements that are there. I hear your argument, but in my pitch, I think I make use of them, and I basically do it by doing exactly what you say. I, I throw in that allegory of the need for coexistence, and I, I think yeah. it can be done. I mean, it's
1: something that's very much needed in this movie, for mm-hmm. sure. I'll get um, to that
0: some, yeah, in the fix, but what else would you take out?
1: There's, I can't really think of anything else. I, would t- I mean, I would take out the introduction of Darth Maul. Mm-hmm. I think we've already talked about that in favor of a later, more purposeful introduction of Darth Maul. Um, this isn't an omission so much as I feel like the Anakin's mother character, who, by the way, has no name as far as I could tell. Sh- She's she- just me. listed you know, as... Shimi, or I can't say it right. It's S H M I. Shimi or Shmi. Well, in the closed captions, because you know I watch everything with closed captions, it just kept saying "mother." Oh, like there was no name listed in for her there. They say um, it
0: once, but it's really fast, and it sounds like someone just kind of slurred their s when they said Skywalker. I, it's just I, Skywalker. Wish,
1: I wish she had a better role in this. I wish she played more of a role. She feels kind of sidelined. Um, you have like the beginnings of almost like a romantic tension between her and Qui-Gon, which I normally hate movies that like shoehorn in a romance. I almost felt like we needed something like that in this one, something to bring some sort of levity to it. And Uh, I wish she had been the one to like, you know, we find out she's been saving money or something like that. And she has the entry fee for the race or cool. Just like had some part to play in all of this. That totally
0: helps my fix that. Yes. That right there. Also, I the, also wholeheartedly
1: this, disagree with with her being left behind on Tatooine. Like, I don't get why Qui-Gon just left her there. Just put her on the ship and fly away. Who's going to stop you? Well, no one's going to stop she, you.
0: The, the contrived thing that if they run away, they explode. What? Yeah. They have microchips hidden in them. And if you try to run away, they blow you up. That's what Anakin says.
1: Oh, she's I, explaining, Anakin finished that. You I missed did that. not remember that yeah. at oh okay it, well at least that sort of makes sense so i just kept thinking like because he tried because qui-gon tries to liberate both him and his mother and is unsuccessful and is only able to liberate jake lloyd the you know anakin and i just kept thinking like wh- are your principles what stop like what's stopping you just pick her up put her on the ship and fly her away from he there. couldn't
0: stop her from being blown up without i don't know i I work on that in my fix so I want to keep her and I want to keep her left behind because it's actually kind of vital to the Anakin sub-story in my fix but okay. you're right it was underutilized and her character um, was just ugh. I
1: have a bigger fix but I want to wait until the till more of a pitch for that
0: okay so anything else you want to take out
1: um, nope not really
0: Okay, so obviously Jar Jar for me definitely falls in there. I think some things I I would cut out a lot of what a lot of the lag time when they're on Tatooine, it just sort of starts to drag. Yeah, and a part lot of, of that, the
1: pod race for sure could be shortened.
0: Anakin needs to be a B story in this movie. The main story needs to be Naboo. Anakin needs to be like the B story that gets a little attention, but obviously will get more as it goes along. It's just it's you're just kind of
1: brushing up against my fix for this movie right now. I'm excited to, to get into it. Mm-hmm. You're, you're right. Anakin's entire storyline should be smaller and and less of a focus.
0: We're taking out midichlorians. And I also want to take out the prophecy about Anakin bringing balance to the Force. I think it's completely unnecessary at all. Like You can still do everything you do in these movies without there having to be a prophecy. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just he's, he's potentially really strong so there's that um, there's a few things I think is that the last thing I really want to take out there are definitely some things I want to keep but alter yes I agreed and uh, yeah that, that, that's more of it it's, it's not so much taking out but altering what's there so that it works but yeah we got to take out Jar Jar and honestly we don't need a Gungan we need to see the Gungans and then come back to them. That's that's better.
1: Yeah, we oh, don't need a gun gun f- going with them everywhere.
0: Yeah, like, he, for that's no unnecessary.
1: Um, something I want to change about Anakin, uh, as well as what you said, I want to I want to reduce his story. Mm-hmm. But his the age they chose for him is so wrong for this. Sh- movie. It did not work. He should have been like the age of the kids in Stranger Things,
0: or or Luke's age. Honestly, he should have been Luke's age.
1: See, I think that's too old. I think he needed to be like 14 or 15, still young, still like a child, but not like a kid.
0: I'll give you 15. The reason he was young as he is is because it it was back in that mentality that kids won't watch a movie unless there are kids in it. So it was definitely market driven to have him as young as he is. I'll give you 15 going on 16, but he I needs to be closer him being to Luke's age.
1: Young. I just felt like he was too young. Okay. And uh, uh, I think uh, that uh, uh, change alone would have made it a, a huge difference.
0: Yes, absolutely. I definitely said Anakin needs to be older. I said closer to Luke's age, which really wasn't that much further. Luke was around seventeen, so fifteen, I'll give you. That's, okay. That's an. That's a. I'm fine with that. And I think you're right. That would make it different enough that he's not literally just Luke again.
1: Right. The the main thing just to kind of build on what you're saying about Luke's or not Luke Anakin's part being smaller. I think the main fix, not just for this movie and not to get too into it, but the main fix for all three of this, the movies in this trilogy is that it should have been not Anakin's story. It should have been Obi-Wan's story. It should have been Obi-Wan's story in the first movie that he was this apprentice who, who just wanted to prove himself. He like make him even kind of like, um, a bit of a showboat like th- things like that that Qui-Gon wants to like kind of drill out of him mm-hmm. and in the process of him kind of taking on Anakin it kind of mellows him out into more of the Obi-Wan that we know in later films and then his story can continue with him trying to train up you know Anakin and do what Obi-Wan or what Qui-Gon would have wanted from him and it just kind of going awry and then by that third movie again it's like his his failings as a master and like reconciling what he did wrong or didn't do wrong how much of it was and wasn't his fault reframe it where he's the lead where he because you know i go back to when the movie first started we're like half an hour in and i I made notes lots of notes about how there's no one charming there's no one to relate to there's no one interesting had obi-wan been the focus had obi-wan been like what this story was about we could have played it up where it, we have this master and this apprentice, this apprentice who's kind of like a smarmy, swashbuckling, you know, space monk or whatever, that Qui Gon's having to like, well, all right, Pat or, you know, Padawan, let's chill out a little bit. That's not what we're here for. And then he kind of gets tempered by, you know, combat, tempered by facing real threat and not just like patrolling and doing peace agreements. and like how how much more interesting would it have been I think at the end of the film where instead of Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan taking on Darth Maul if obi-wan who's kind of like not been into this whole anakin thing the whole time ends up going into a space battle with anakin because I mean, we find out that he's a he is a, a a notable pilot later on right so he goes into space he's a part of this thing and when he feels the loss of qui-gon on the surface because we we establish that in other movies that they can feel that loss through the force that's when anakin who again in my version is older mm-hmm. is able to like step forward and this whole film this whole time he's been struggling with like self-doubt and things like that anakin has his moment to kind of like propel himself forward and save the day it's so unsatisfying to me in this movie that anakin sort of accidentally saves the day at the end right you know it, it's it's whereas well, had he made it played an actual role in it It would have just been much more satisfying. Your idea of the two
0: of them ending up in a battle together and Qui-Gon back on the planet fighting Maul alone has another good merit. One of the things that the prequels in general lack is they keep introducing a new villain to be menacing each movie, which isn't menacing. What if Maul kills Qui-Gon and then leaves? And now Maul has status. That's not what I did, it's funny, we both are going, we're both achieving mostly the same goal, I've just done it way different than you. Okay, but, but I'm, I, I'm curious I, to hear yours. So so Obi-Wan's still the focus, but Obi-Wan's sort of torn, and on the one side he sees his master who is the Calm Collective Monk, when he meets Anakin, his animosity into him is about Anakin is Anakin is just super unruly. Basically, so was I when you remember. You know, he was he he sees in Anakin like his more unruly self. Anakin's older, but he's a bit more of the Han Solo smuggler swinder type swindler type. At first, he's a bit more just sort of you know doesn't care. He's not following the Force. He has you know, he he's lived on in Mos Espa, which is this little city in Tat- Tatooine that is treacherous and all this sort of stuff. It's he he actually knows how to get around. He does in the actual movie. Little Anakin knows how to, like, where to go, how to avoid storms, what people to avoid, how not to, like, he uses himself at one point to save Jar Jar because he's a slave and he knows that these people want to beat up Jar Jar, can't hurt him because he's property and they'll get in trouble for hurting him. Like, he's, he's streetwise. So we crank up that streetwise that that bothers Obi-Wan, who's trying to be more disciplined, but isn't. I mean, side note, Qui-Gon is said to be really defiant to the Council of Jedi, and that's why he's not on it himself, but maybe that's good. Maybe, maybe Qui-Gon's teaching him how to be, you know, more true to himself as a Jedi versus what the, a robot like the Council wants, but that's Obi-Wan's struggle. It even can be emphasized, it doesn't have to be like, super big thing, but there was always that sort of Luke and Han both kind of being into Leia for a little bit there. Mm-hmm. What if, you know, like... I, What if Obi-Wan sees, because Padme's like right in the middle between them, especially if Anakin's like 15, because she's young for a queen, and that can be part of her naivete and like, and everything. What if he's kind of got a thing that he's not really acknowledging, but he's kind of got a thing, like there's something there to him, whereas Anakin sees her, and he's too young, but that does not stop him from like flirting and being very Han Solo, very the scoundrel, the Han Solo, and that pisses off Obi-Wan more the reason they come together again is the loss of Qui-Gon who becomes an important figure for both of them and that's when Mm -hmm. their friendship solidifies so I think I think you're spot on I I I like my fix as far as uh, we'll get into it when I do my pitch as I like I think you're right that Anakin and Obi-Wan could go off together and kind of be the buddies in battle like they just they they learn to trust each other in battle that's great and I like the idea of Maul being able to stick around I don't do that. I stay a little bit truer to the script, a little bit truer to the script.
1: What what I was more thinking was Anakin could still do the same thing he did in this movie where he gets into a, a ship and for dumb reasons ends up into space. But instead of just that happening, we, we have that moment where Obi-Wan's like, all right, I got to go after the kid. Right. And that's why he ends up in a ship. That's why he ends up in space. And he's kind of like taking lead for a bit. But again, when he feels that loss Mm -hmm. and he hesitates for a moment, that's Anakin's moment to like step up and like, you know, grow Mm -hmm. up in that moment. I actually like that you mentioned something because I I had an idea that it would have been kind of interesting, again, setting up for the three movies, not just this one. If if Amidala was just a hair older than she was and Obi-Wan had some sort of feelings for Amidala creating some sort of weird confliction. Like, confliction and triangle between the two, between the, the three of them. Mm-hmm. I think that would have been a very interesting uh, twist. Duel of fates. Yeah. Um, I, yeah. Okay. And Do it we want to talk about anything else had to play before out, like, we get twilight. into the,
0: Yes, one no, thing I did not say that I I want I want to talk about one thing that I would remove that I forgot about. In the original final battle, George Lucas decided that because Jedi had 3 battles going on and this one had to have 4 battles going on. And what that means is that the Gungan army is leading out the droid army from Naboo City to clear out the city so that they could they could do a couple other things. They're going to go into the city, steal some spaceships, and attack the command ship up above. Because if you blow that up, the droids shut down. Also, they're going to go to the throne room where now the Trade Federation leaders are hanging out. Because if you capture them, they're going to shut down the army. Maybe that part was that that whole bit in the the throne room palace bit doesn't hold up. The fourth fight becomes Darth Maul shows up and the Jedi split off. But. Mm. It was too many, and even George Lucas himself has admitted that, or at least been caught on film admitting they went overboard. They they stretched too thin. They don't they don't need to go to the palace, and I, I'll explain why. No, our, it would have been so aware.
1: much more interesting had Amidala be, like been more of like a war general at this point. If she had been involved in the fight in the field, where again the Gungans took all the losses. Right, you know. I,
0: I did again I, I did something similar but different than that so I love what you're saying and I agree it's just we, re- we should probably get to pitches because everything I think is going to come
1: through now I'm, I'm okay to move to pitches unless there's anything else you want to talk about before we do it I uh, can't think of anything I'm probably going to cover it here okay um, well I know you have a fully like written out pitch so I'll just give a, a little short version of, of, of the basic pitch that I would do and um, my, my pitch is, is is a pretty simple fix. It's just changing the focus for the most part. I think Obi-Wan is our lead. He's our main character. And as the as the movie starts, again, these two Jedi go to, like, settle this trade dispute, whatever. We're just focusing more on this relationship with Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan. Obi-Wan is this kind of young um, apprentice that that's a little bit of... Not like a hothead, but he's just kind of a, a bit of a showboat. And... Qui-Gon is his mentor that's trying to, like, um, teach him, challenge him, ground him a little bit. And in the process, you know, again, everything can more or less go the same except for the whole, like, journey through the planet. That's, like, 20 minutes of unnecessary we can eliminate from the movie. But everything else is more or less going the same. We end up on Tatooine. And instead of Obi-Wan being grounded to the ship the whole time, he's a more active part. Qui-Gon sees this kid, thinks he might be part of some sort of prophecy or at least important. But Obi-Wan, who's his uh, his apprentice, is kind of begrudging of this kid and just kind of like, "Uh, I guess, you know, almost like Qui-Gon, you know, had another kid. And now Obi-Wan has to deal with this annoying little brother. Right. And again, we most of the story plays out as it is before but when we get towards those final battles instead of Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan taking on Darth Maul Obi-Wan ends up having to kind of take Anakin under his wing and you know sort of literally in a starship and in the end when we lose Qui-Gon Anakin has to or uh, Obi-Wan has to take Anakin completely under his wing under his tutelage and that's how we propel Anakin into being Obi-Wan's Pada- or padawan and instead of Obi Wan just kind of being sidelined for this whole movie, it becomes kind of his story, his journey. Hmm. Exactly. Which it
0: should the the whole trilogy is supposed to be Anakin's, but we don't get him until the middle of the first movie, and then he's sort of stunted because he's too young. This should the tri- trilogy should have slowly passed the torch from Obi Wan to Anakin, and it should have been it should have gone from Obi Wan's. To their story, to maybe like Anakin's by the end.
1: Agreed. It, totally the agreed. trilogy. Well, give me give me your pitch. I know yours is a lot more like fleshed out. I'm All excited right. to hear the whole pitch.
0: All right, listeners. I I've this is my first draft. I apologize if I stutter because I had some typos. But here grab we go. Grab a
1: soda. Grab some popcorn. We're mm-hmm. jumping in.
0: A long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, Star Wars Episode One: The Flash Gordon Villain. <laughs> <laughs> Cue scrolling text. The Republic has become stunted and ineffective ruled by bureaucracy in this time of indecision and infighting the evil United Federation working name begins to try and seize control of outlying planets of the Republic to further their own goals for control. The U.F.S. first threatened the outer planet of Naboo Naboo needs to be an outer planet and I'll tell you why in a minute a small but prosperous monarchy not a democracy like they say with little in the way of its own defense. The Chancellor of the Republic, having heard rumors of the potential invasion, wishes to do more, but is worried that any official reaction will bring backlash from the bickering Senate. Instead, he secretly dispatches two Jedi to investigate and bring back... Evidence of the impending threat to peace in the galaxy. Scroll up the text, it finishes, music starts. Da, 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 da. So here we go. Starting out pretty much the same. Obi-Wan Kenobi and Qui-Gon Scotch, I mean Jen, sit in their shuttle as they stealthily <laughs> observe the uni- I call them the United Federation, The just just for fun, but really something besides a trade federation. It needs to be more like what the. What are they called in the new series? The Not Empire, the First Order. It needs to be like the First Order, some mm. some f- some force from the outside that's threatening. It, that way it makes sense. So Obi-Wan and Qui-Gon realize that the, the United Federation, or as, as I'm calling them, or the UF, looks to have hostile intent, but they need more information. So Qui-Gon, being clever, has this idea that they should allow themselves to be discovered and captured. Once they're captured, the evil leaders of the United Federation reveal all their plans, because that's how bad guys do in Star Wars and Got me stuff.
1: monologuing
0: yes so at this point Obi-Wan and Qui-Gon mount their escape using their you know force abilities and lightsabers revealing themselves to be Jedi they try to take over the command ship but find themselves outmatched and instead make their escape in a stolen fighter however and I know this is going to sound familiar the fighter is shot down and crashes on the planet of Naboo it's not long before search parties of the United Federation fleet come after them because they need to take on these Jedi they're they're going to cause trouble The search parties stumble onto a Gungan patrol, like a patrol of, like, Gungan soldiers near a lake bed, because they're always near water. Combat begins, and Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan start to feel kind of guilty that they've brought this on the Gungans, who were just doing their thing, so they intervene, take out the troops. Gungans then decide, you know, to take the Jedi back to the underwater city to make the Jedi kind of report on what's going on. They're trying to see, is this worth their time? They realize that it's not, they're not involved in this right now. Uh, the Jedi kind of learned that the Gungans, A, exist, and B, are way more advanced than they seem to be on the outer surface. You know, or just through rumors. Uh, and the Gungans allow them to leave. Give them a nice little um, sh- water ship to go through the planet's core. I know you don't like that, but I did. And get to the other side of <laughs> the planet so they can get to Naboo. They want to get to Naboo because they feel like that's the next best place to find a ship to get off planet, which the Gungans don't have.
1: It's important to point out that Naboo is the name of the planet. And the
0: city. That's ridiculous. I know. Naboo City. So I kept meaning... Th- I wrote Naboo City. I should I should be reading this again. I'm, I'm summarizing because there's a lot... So, yeah, once they get to Naboo City, okay, it's been invaded by the droids at this point because no one would park droids on the opposite side of the planet and they would have to, like, sneak on ships like they did in the movie. In the movie, they sneak onto ships to go down to the planet and those ships are conveniently landed in the middle of forest on the opposite side of Naboo City, opposite side of the planet from Naboo City. I, I To this day, I don't understand that. It doesn't make any sense, You're right? So they're sneaking through the city trying to find a ship to get up get out of here, right? Go warn the Chancellor, get the army coming, right? But Obi-Wan has this moment where he sees Queen Amidala being led by droids and, you know, to go to be processed or whatever they said. This is an actual scene. So we come back to that scene, but the difference is that's when Obi-Wan has his moment, his kind of like, who is she? She's beautiful. Kind of moment with Amidala, and he kind of gets conflicted. So he kind of writes it off to Qui-Gon, like, "Hey, look, wouldn't it be a lot easier to convince the Senate if we brought the Queen with us to like testify?" And Qui-Gon's like, "I see what you're doing there, but yes, also you're right."
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> so they they save the Queen and they get and the people around her. So they still get the handmaidens, they still get the captain and the pilots and all that. And, and they get off planet, and because they're an out al- so but they still run into that hole, they have to run through the blockade of ships, right? They make it, but they're damaged. So where do they land? Oh, well on this neighboring outer planet known as Tatooine. Now it's not just so like random happenstance. It's like Right. Oh look, this is a thing. There are different planets in solar systems. So the meanwhile the I guess, yeah, okay, I'm going to go to, we cut to the United Federation. This is when we cut to the Trade Federation in the movie talking to Darth Sidious about trying to track these uh, these Jedi down and the Queen. They need the Queen. They're talking to Darth Sidious again, but their whole reason for needing his help is, you know, they're not a huge army. They've got a big army, but it's all occupying Naboo. They don't have the resources to go to Tatooine and find them. It's not like, it's not like Star Trek where you can just park over... A planet and do a scan and see everything that's that's never really tech has always been unclear in Star Wars but that's that's never really how it works so Sidious Darth Sidious decides to send Darth Maul to go to Tatooine and use the force to track him down Q from now on seeing Darth Maul kind of slowly spying on them the whole time they go to get the uh, the Jedi both Jedi I want Qui Gon I want Obi-Wan and I want Queen Amidala, dressed as Padme, because we're still doing the doubles bit, wandering around trying to find spare parts for their ship. Like, that to me is is still a good thing, because you've got your, your trio there, and we're just mm-hmm. going to add one more. So they meet up. So they're around bargaining. They Same deal. They don't have the right currency to buy their stuff. They're kind of out of luck. Well, there's this kind of thief-slash-scoundrel-slash-slave named Anakin Skywalker, who's just like, Hey! I could help you out and first he gains their trust by, you know, helping them navigate the city, he offers them shelter, and then he tells them that he has a plan to get them the money they need to get their ship repaired to get off planet. The only thing he wants in return is for the Jedi because you know, he still believes really highly of the Jedi as like all powerful, you know, people to basically free his his mom and himself from slavery. That's the trade-off. So Q Anakin's plan. Well, his plan is for his part. His plan is to use his pod racer to enter in the pod race and have that go a lot faster than it did and win the win the money. Right? It's up to Qui Gon and Obi Wan and possibly the Queen to free Anakin and his mother, which he assumes they're just going to go up to what was the guy's name? Watto, the wow. slave owner. Yeah, you're going to go up to Watto and you know basically strong arm him or force trick him or use one of their ultimate magic wizard powers. But instead, Qui-Gon does something similar to what he did before, which was, you know, trick Watto into gambling Anakin's freedom. The problem is, is that just like in the movie, he can only free Anakin. And this, once Anakin wins and comes back and realizes this, instead of being excited, he's furious. One, he doesn't understand why the Jedi don't just go and, like, threaten Watto's life. And they can't. That's not their way. That's not how they do things. But two, you know, this is only half the deal. Anakin eventually leaves because his mom says, no, no, no. This is good. You know, I'm you need to go live your life. I am happy knowing you're free. So now Anakin leaves, but he's got this this lingering goal. His mom is still on a slave. He's still on the planet. He kind of got jilted by the Jedi, but he's also free, so his ultimate goal is going to want to return and save her. Mm-hmm. Hence stories for that's why he's the B story. He's just sort of kind of going to hang on there and that's what we're going to see in the in the sequels to this prequel is him kind of struggling with following the ways of the Jedi and doing using his power for his own gain, and that that confliction. But right now, that's sort of where we kind of have to leave it. So now we're on Coruscant, and a lots of politics happen. But we're gonna we're gonna speed that up, and we're gonna use cutting to make this better. We're gonna cut between Queen Amidala trying to get the Senate's help and Qui-Gon Jinn trying to get permission to train Anakin Skywalker. And we're going to kind of do some good cutting, and we're going to show basically that both establishments are are, are just bloated. I, I, I think one of my favorite things in The Last Jedi is Luke Skywalker calls the Jedi Council this arrogant group that in the height of their power fell and all I could do it was all I could do not do do in the movie not to go preach because they were really just worthless for all of these prequels and because they were so arrogant they were so dismissive of Qui-Gon and you know thinking that Anakin was worthy to be trained I think Yoda knows better Yoda senses an actual kind of anger in Anakin now it's not just oh you lost your mom it's like oh no you wanna use the force to go back and get your mom and that's so clear now and so translated but otherwise, it's just a lot of organizations not acting. They will, however, the Jedi Council at least, will acknowledge the possibility of a Sith Lord. So same as before, they send Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan, and now Anakin, because they're not going to keep him, and he's, he's got nowhere else to go, to follow Queen Amidala back to Naboo, because she's had it. That was my favorite part about her. She's like, I'm going to go suffer the same fate as my people. I'm not going to just sit here on, you know, in this place to go back to Naboo. It's all coming back to Naboo. And that's when Obi-Wan and Qui-Gon tell her that if she's willing to put aside her pride and maybe her prejudices, you're welcome, that (laughs) she could go seek help from the Gungans. And that's when we can really, she does this, and that's when we can really kind of play out how at first she thinks so little of them, but really it was her people that wronged them. And that kind of gets hashed out there and the gungans being the better people agree to help and then we start the attack plan which is a th- four step plan but not four battles step <laughs> 1 is oh and so at this point no i'll tell you my, my other other fix later cuz it's my favorite part and i'm going to reveal it to you so at this point the gungans are going to attack and draw out the droid army right they're going to they're going to use sabe the queen's bodyguard and double dressed as the queen to lead slash be on the battlefield to really draw out the Jordan, but to really convince them this is who that, what they want to go after. Meanwhile, the Jedi, the queen, Anakin, and a small force of red shirts are going to go infiltrate the, the palace with the intent of stealing a few of their fighters, which you've already said are too weak to penetrate the, the command ships, but they can be a distraction because they're also going to steal a transport ship. And that's because step three is using the fighters to distract the fleet. Okay. I already said that and land the transport ship inside the command ship and blow it up from the inside as a strike force and then get the hell out of there before it blows. The only thing that goes wrong is once they're inside Naboo city, Darth Maul shows up and the Jedi have to split. I still send um, Obi-Wan with Qui-Gon for the very important reason that I've got this really cool battle thing that's going to happen. But Anakin, not being totally useless, goes with Padme, which also distracts Obi-Wan. He's kind of like, ugh, flirty punk kid is going with the girl that I'm kind of having conflicting feelings about. And this distracts Obi-Wan from the fight. He's not focused and he's not there to back up Qui-Gon when he needs to. Qui-Gon dies. And all of a sudden, Obi-Wan is just like ridden with guilt. He blames himself for Qui-Gon's death which, if it's in the movie, is not clear at all, so I feel like I'm creating this idea. And that fight pretty much goes out the, uh, the same way it does, he, he fights Maul on his own, he starts to fall down this hole, he grabs onto a thing, but because in, in the Star Wars universe, high ground is important, and Darth Maul is lo- lo- lording over him with a lightsaber waiting for him to try and climb up and cut him down, because that's how high ground works, right? Obi-Wan is gonna jump. He's, he's hanging it on this hole, but if you, you get a full shot of it, it's a 360 hole There's a ledge on the other side He's gonna jump to the other side of the hole force call Qui-Gon's lightsaber to him because Qui-Gon's fallen And he's lost his lightsaber and just kind of stand there and look at Maul with like this like bring it look Maul's gonna jump over the hole Obi-Wan's gonna jump at the same time. They're gonna clash in the middle Obi-Wan flies past Maul, lands on the ground, doesn't even look back as Maul splits into two pieces and falls down the hole. Because that is cool. And your fix is probably better, but I just really want that cool shot. That, that like samurai anime jumping through the air shot. It was 1999, if the Matrix can do it, Star Wars can do it.
1: <laughs> oh,
0: um, the other bit, I guess I should really wrap this up, the other bit is uh, Anakin Padme They have this whole, like, Han Solo layer bickering thing going on that while they're on the ship because he's just way too much and she's just not having it but they in the heat of battle that's where they kind of like start to form what will eventually be a a kind of respect and maybe later a relationship we'll see who do you ship Obi-Wan, Anakin but something something there where them working together and using the red shirts as shields are able to blow up the command ship get out of there save the rest of the day and it's at the funeral for Qui-Gon that Anakin comes up to Obi-Wan and says, you know, I didn't get to know Qui-Gon very long, but he was literally the best person to me that anybody's ever been. And I, I f- it is a real tragedy that he's not going to train me. Like that was like Anakin's kind of growth moment. And yeah. that, was, that had Obi-Wan see him in a different light. So instead of those two being like enemies, Obi-Wan's like, there's more to this kid. And, and now he just he really appreciates someone who feels the loss in some way that that Obi-Wan feels of Qui-Gon. Because I, w- I would have Obi-Wan and Qui-Gon have a lot more interaction, and their relationship would be very clear throughout the movie. So Obi-Wan goes to the council and is all like, I'm going to follow my master. I mean, it's, it's out of guilt. He feels like out of guilt, at the very least, he should follow his master's last wish, which was to train Anakin. And the council has to reluctantly agree, because Obi-Wan again says, otherwise I'll do it without you. And, you know, so that, that goes pretty much the same way. Uh, cue the obligatory ceremony service for your first Star Wars movie in a trilogy and roll credits.
1: We don't have the rights to that music. All right, uh, final thoughts. What were, your, what were your thoughts on this experience?
0: I mean, I think we 100% fixed this movie. I think I've been working on this in my head consciously and subconsciously for so long. This has just been really... Really cathartic. It, mm-hmm. It's like it's like a weight has been lifted, and and I can't wait to just just like cleanse my palate of the
1: rest of them as you know as soon as we can. Yeah, there's something cathartic about breaking down these movies. It makes it kind of takes the the sting away from how bad they are. I I will be very honest. I think I texted you uh, yesterday when I was watching the movie. I I didn't really. <laughs> Of all the thing, the movies we've fixed so far in this show, I didn't really know that this one was going to be fixable. But I think if we can fix Phantom Menace, if we could fix Timeline, then I, I am so just convinced we can fix any movie now. Mm-hmm.
0: And I th- I'd like to point out on this one and on Timeline, we kept a lot of the elements. We removed some stuff. We don't uh-huh. no- typically recast or... If we do, it's it's with what the cast was already there.
1: The only ca- recasting I'd really want to do in this one is I'd want... Instead of Jake Lloyd, I'd want an older actor for Anakin. Right.
0: Yeah, so that was yeah
1: that would be a recast. Oh, well. But I think that's a one-off. Like, we're, mm. we're not trying to recast all the roles. We're not trying to completely change up everything about the movie.
0: And a lot of what we've done here on this one is expand on what happens so that it has purpose and meaning. It doesn't just happen to get you to the next scene to happen
1: to get you to the next scene to oh look pretty lightsabers exactly well i have been enjoying this so far i i'll I'll be the one to break the bad news to our listeners we are going to take a little bit of a break from movie fixers not much just a few weeks um we're going to be rolling out a new podcast on the channel hosted by our friend joey franks called coming out stories that'll be coming in soon but we'll be back
0: I'm looking really forward to coming out stories. We're going to say it's just because uh, that'll it's been, start.
1: It's been in the works for a while. It's going to be a good one. Mm-hmm. It starts in June, right? Um, I think we're airing his like introduction episode uh, right before June. But the first proper episode will be the first, I think, Monday in June. I want to All say right. May 7th or June 7th, I think.
0: I'm looking forward um, to Joey Franks just killing it.
1: Me too. And we'll be back with new episodes soon. I know we've got um, some more guests in our future that I'm excited about. And we've got a whole list of movies. We've, you know, Tony and I have a, a, a joint list that we just keep throwing more movies on because we keep encountering more movies that I think we both are excited about the idea of fixing. However,
0: if there are movies you as the audience want, Matt, how can they reach us?
1: They can reach us uh, through our Facebook page, facebook.com slash only on TSD. You can reach us on our website, which is 30 something dot digital. Uh, or you can email us at contact at only on TSD dot com. Let us so, know what movies you want us to fix or honestly us tell know. us we're wrong about our fixes. Tell us yeah. anything we want to hear from you. Did we just ruin your childhood of uh,
0: the Phantom Menace? I, I I would be really curious to know. I Yeah.
1: I know there are people that love The Phantom Menace as is, and I would I would kind of like to hear from them. What would they, What what do they think about our fixes? Yeah.
0: Did we, did we ruin it for you? Um, if so, I – well, I don't apologize, but I hear you.
1: Right. I, empath- I sympathize, but I don't empathize with you. <laughs> there you go. All right. Um, thank you to our audience for listening to these first few episodes of Movie Fixers. We're really excited to keep going with this soon. Uh, I want to say a special thank you to Taylor, who watched Phantom Menace with me, he, he really suffered that movie with me and gave me some good insight, some things that I hadn't noticed. So thanks for listening, Taylor, and thanks for participating. We'll have to have you on the show at some point. Mm-hmm.
0: Also, again, as always, thanks to our executive producers, Chrissy Faith, Hayden Smith. Thanks to everyone who works with us on 30 something digital in general. And Matt, I, I will like, I would like to say after these four episodes, thanks to you for hanging out with me and fixing movies with me. This is, this is one of the things I look forward to most during the week.
1: I couldn't agree more. Thank you to me for being here with you. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and I guess sort of thank you as well. All right, everybody. Well, that's our show for this week. Uh, tune in. I, I, we haven't got an official date for when we come back yet, but we'll be back by July. July for sure with new episodes of movie fixers
0: we'll see you then